Good morning, everyone. It's a real privilege to be here. I have been hearing about this church for the last 34 years, but it's my first time here. Uh, a good friend of mine, Ryan Sador, grew up in this church, and I'm pretty sure he's watching a video this morning with his parents, but a longtime friend who has just spoken words of blessing about what this community has meant to him in the development of his faith. So it's just what a privilege to worship with you. It's a, it's a privilege to preach this morning. Tom, it's possible that the previous district superintendent knew that you were coming and resigned, but the other way to think about it is when it was made known that you were coming, I jumped at the chance to step into the job. It's all how you frame it, right? So as we've heard many times already this morning, this Sunday marks the beginning of the Advent season, and this word Advent simply means coming, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I trust that in the weeks ahead, you and your families, me and my family, will experience this growing anticipation. Christ came many years ago. We know that he's going to come again, though we know not when. And for now, we wait with open hearts to receive and to celebrate the word who became flesh. This morning, I have the privilege of opening God's Word with you. And so if you have a Bible with you or a smartphone and you, you like to use the Bible app, you can go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 1, and I'm going to be reading verses 1 through verse 9. So this is what the Apostle John writes. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that light, that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So the Apostle John begins his version of the, Christians, uh, the, the Christmas story with the words I've just read, and his words are bursting with vitality and urgency. What John does is he speaks to us about new beginnings, about life, about light and darkness. It doesn't take long for us to look around us to turn on the TV and watch the news. And, and very quickly, we realize that there is darkness that exists in our world. And if we're honest, we see darkness that exists in us as well. And it does us no good to wish the darkness away or to pretend that it doesn't exist. But because of Jesus, we have light and hope in the midst of darkness. And these are the truths that the church of Jesus has clung to and confessed for a couple thousand years. And this morning, we're going to focus in on John's description of Jesus as the one who brings us light. But before I do, I want to fix your attention on the first three verses. For here, we have the foundation of theology that is the basis for all of our Christian faith. As you know, the first recorded words in the Bible are, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what John does is he picks up on this beginning 
but he directs our attention to a different beginning, to the time before there was time, before there was something in this world, there was someone, Father, Son, and Spirit. Before sun, moon, and stars, before land, plants, and animals, there was God. Christian theology reminds us that God doesn't have a beginning. No one ever summoned, summoned him. He wasn't created. He has always been, and he will always be. And knowing this to be true, we might have expected John to write, in the beginning was God, but instead, he introduces us to the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, referring to him as the Word. And what does John tell us about this Word? First, we're told that this Word is preexistent. In other words, God the Son has always been. There was never a time when he was not. Second, we're told that this word was with God. And there's something really important to pay attention to with this preposition, with. Now, if we were to have a conversation after the morning service and I were to say to you, um, where were you last night? You might respond by saying, I was with my friends or with my family or with my spouse. But you wouldn't say, I was with myself. You would say, I was by myself. The word with implies the presence of another. Now, at times, people ask, why did the church create the language of Trinity to explain God? And the short answer is that the language of Trinity is implicit all throughout Scripture. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. There has always been multiplicity Not of God's, but multiplicity in God. And the preposition with communicates distinction between persons, but it also communicates profound unity. Let me explain. If we wanted to be more literal in translating John's words from original Greek into English, instead of saying, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God, we might instead say, in the beginning was the word and the word was towards God. Or and the word was face-to-face with God. It's not that God the Son was with the Father like you and I might be with 30 strangers in a coffee shop. The word was towards God. He was face-to-face with God. It's a description of the closest possible intimacy. No competition, no inequality, nothing to separate the two. Third, verse 1 concludes with five simple words, and the word was God. As we enter into this Christmas season, whether we use the language or not, we enter into the theology of the incarnation. And the doctrine of the incarnation is that God the Son, co-eternal, co-equal with the Father and the Spirit, became human without ceasing to be God. And so there was a moment in time when God the Son stepped into human history as a human being. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He gestated in his mother Mary's womb for about 40 weeks, and he was born in Bethlehem. Jesus had 10 fingers and 10 toes, and given where he was born, he likely had dark brown or black hair and beautiful brown skin. What I'm getting at is that while Jesus was fully human, He remained 
fully God. At the center of Christian orthodoxy is the confession that in Jesus Christ, we do not see God pretending to be a man or even God in a man and taking over. But in Jesus of Nazareth, we have God as a man. One person, two natures, God and human. Now, if you've been a Christian for a really long time, then everything I have just explained will not come as a surprise to you. But every so often, it's in our best interest just to pause and acknowledge how odd this truth really is. How could one person be fully human and fully God simultaneously? We live in the age of information, and we take it for granted that we can find answers to every question. With Google, we can solve all of the mysteries of the universe. But there are real limits to human knowledge. And when it comes to the incarnation, the Bible spends very little time describing how this could be possible. Instead, it describes the who. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And this Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Before I move on, I want to take a few more moments to explain a term that John uses again and again. Why does John use the word, word, for God the Son? Well, the Greek equivalent that John employs is actually the word logos. It's a philosophical term that signifies the outward form by which something is expressed. One author defines logos in the following way. Logos has the double meaning of thought and speech. I want you to think about it in the following way. Every single one of us, all day long, have thoughts that are firing in our brains. And these thoughts are completely hidden and unknown to the people all around us. Until we speak, our thoughts, though real, remain hidden. Our speech reveals our thoughts. Now, it's fair to say that there's a massive gap between God and us. God's being is different than our being. He's higher, greater, beyond us. So how can human beings, who are so limited, know a God that is so far beyond us? God must make himself known. And in Jesus, we have the divine logos, the thoughts of God, the being and the character of God have been made plain so that what was once hidden has now been revealed. Our words are a means by which we reveal ourselves, what we think, what we're like. Jesus is God's divine word, the fullest possible expression of who God is. John 1 verse 1 marks the beginning of Trinitarian thinking in John's gospel. The character and words of action of Jesus show us exactly who God is and what he's like. In verse 3, John moves from describing the relationship between God the Son and God the Father to describing the Word's relationship to all of creation. We read that through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. 
Now notice there's, there's no mention of the Word, God the Son, being created first and then joining the Father in the acts of creation. In the beginning, God, uh, God the Son existed alongside the Father in the Spirit. And John uses positive and negative language to affirm that God the Son is God's agent in all of creation. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing. Nothing has been made. And the rest of the New Testament conveys this same truth. In Colossians 1, verse 16, we read, For in Him, that is Christ, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by Him and for Him. I want to turn your attention to verse 4. John writes, In Him, Christ, was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And it's here in John's prologue that we are given a foretaste of what will define the entirety of Jesus' ministry, life and light. I want to turn your attention to this word life for just a moment. In John's gospel, the word life is a constant theme. He uses this word 36 different times. Jesus came that people might have abundant life, John 10, verse 10. Jesus died that he might give everlasting life, John 3, 16. Only those who come to Jesus will find life, John 5, 40. Jesus claimed to have the power to, to take up his life or lay down his life, John 10, 18. And this is exactly what he did in his death and resurrection. In fact, in John eleven twenty five, Jesus says of himself, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even though she or he dies. Through Jesus, everyone and everything has been given life. In Jesus, we see the life of God for us, God's life with us, and for all who receive him, we experience God's life in us. Jesus is the life bringer. And so if you're here today and you find yourself in need of a second chance at life, you've gone down a path, you run really far, and you feel like there's no possible way you can recover, Jesus is the one who can invite you back into life and allow you to start over again. Jesus is the life bringer, but he's also the light bearer. This is the theme you're going to be walking with all throughout the Advent season. Jesus is the one who brings light. So what does it mean to say that Jesus is the light of all humanity? The light that shines in the darkness, the true light that gives light to everyone. I'm a bit of a word nerd. I love to read, and I love metaphors. Metaphors, by definition, are imprecise. And, and this is what gives metaphors such rhetorical power. Metaphors always evoke our imagination. They invite us to participate in their meaning. And so what is it that light does? It shines. It brightens. It illuminates. It warms. It attracts attention. And Jesus is like this, isn't he? Light has a kind of gravitational force. For those of you who love the great outdoors, if you've ever lit uh, a bunch of wood and sat around a campfire, probably you've been mesmerized by the flames. It draws attention. But light does more than simply draw attention, as we know. 
Light also pushes back darkness wherever it goes. Light reveals and exposes. You might think a room in your house is really clean, but the moment you flip on the light, (laughs) you'll see the dust and the cobwebs in every corner. And again, Jesus is like that, isn't he? When Jesus draws near with the light of his glory, we have light to see by. Light to see ourselves, light to see others, light to see our world. Now, over the years, I've 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 meditated on this metaphor, and it struck me that our experience of light is very, very different than, than the experience of light that people had in the ancient world. We can flip on a switch, and everything brightens instantly, but in the ancient world, apart from the light of the sun, moon, and stars, all light was accompanied by flame. Light and heat were intimately linked. The one exposes or illuminates. The other purifies. When I grew up, I loved playing with fire. Any fellow pyromaniacs out there? Okay, Pastor Tom, I love that. Um, I loved using a magnifying glass to focus a beam of sunlight to produce a flame, but my favorite by far was finding flammable liquid particularly aerosol cans, WD-40 or hairspray was, was perfect. And then you, you flip a, a lighter, you, 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 you plunge the, the depressor, and then all of a sudden you've got this flamethrower. Well, one afternoon, uh, when I was 15, a good friend of mine gathered all of the flammable liquid we could find in my dad's shop, and we went out to the back of the house. We had this little sort of runoff drain that was about three, three feet-ish, Uh, in depth, and we poured everything we could down this hole, and then our plan was to light a match, drop it down the hole, and see if we could get this flamethrower to come up. And so being the good friend that I am, I allowed my good friend Rob to be the one to drop the first match. So Rob lit the first match, let it go, and stepped back, and nothing happened. And so with my encouragement, Rob lit a second match, dropped it down the hole, quickly stepped back, nothing again. One more time, and still nothing. And so we sat there, puzzled, wondering whether we needed more flammable liquid down the hole. Is that, is that the problem? It should be working by now. And so Rob, at one point, he bent over the hole to take a closer look. And he had this quizzical look on his face, like, why isn't this working? And I remember the look, because instantly it was illuminated by about a six-foot flame. It came out of the hole, and it singed his hair, his eyebrows, and his eyelashes, a a beautiful golden brown. (laughs) Now, I don't want to make too much of John's metaphor, but there's something very powerful about the combination of, of light and heat. Jesus is the light. He illuminates. He exposes the darkness, the brokenness, the sinfulness of the human heart. Jesus does all of this, but if we let him, he will do much, much more. As the light, Jesus exposes, but as heat, Jesus purifies. Jesus' light is always an invitation into repentance, and repentance is the doorway that leads to life with God. John says the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The truth is that Jesus has not extinguished all darkness. Not yet. But notice, John reminds us, that darkness is not an equal and opposite power. Even in a bright room, shadows can exist. 
And so there will be those who refuse, who reject or ignore the light that Jesus brings. But the darkness cannot bully, overwhelm, or quench the light of Jesus. Darkness can't drown out his truth or prevent his purposes. And so for this reason, John trumpets the triumph of light. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And these words find their ultimate fulfillment at the cross. When Jesus died, it appeared as though the light of the world had been extinguished. But three days later, Jesus rose again from the dead. Well-known philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche once wrote, God is dead. You've heard this before? God is dead. The truth is that Nietzsche himself is, is very much dead. And Jesus is still alive. Darkness cannot swallow light. Time hasn't extinguished the light of Jesus. Neither has philosophy or science or war or oppressive regimes. Each attempt inevitably fails. And so as we live in a culture that's pressing against the church, against Christian faith, we don't need to be afraid. The light cannot be extinguished, not ever. Time marches on, and Jesus will always shine. In John 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In verses 6 through 8, we discover that Jesus was not alone in his work. Jesus is the one who's doing all the shining, but John, the Baptist, was directing traffic to Jesus, essentially saying, look at him. Follow him. Listen to him. God sent John the Baptist as a witness to testify concerning Jesus so that through his testimony all might believe. And God is still sending John the Baptist types today. And I don't mean professional vocational ministry people. I mean witnesses. And so if you have been forgiven by Jesus set free and transformed by Jesus. If you have been given purpose, meaning, and direction by Jesus, then you too can be his witness. Everyone you meet is someone that God loves. Your coworkers, your classmates, the person you work out with at the gym. As we live our life, we continue to point the way to Jesus, and we say to people, come with me, Come with me and let's see Jesus. Verse 9 concludes with the following words. The true light that gives light to everyone has come into the world. John reminds us in this opening to his gospel account that something definitive, something irrevocable happened when Jesus came to earth. God took on our flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. One scholar writes, all the light we have, whether we walk in it or turn our backs on it, we owe to Jesus the word. And my question for you today is, do you know this Jesus? And have you placed your life entirely in his hands? It was this question that prompted John to write his entire gospel. Every other question in life pales next to this one. Do you know Jesus And have you placed your life in his hands? And so if you're here this morning or you're watching on video and you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, make today 
the day. He will do more than expose the darkness that you're experiencing. He will purify and transform. Jesus' light is an invitation into the life that God intends for you. And if you're here this morning or watching on video and and you put your trust in Jesus a long time ago, then let me ask, is there anything that you're holding back from him? A corner of your life where the shadow still holds sway. Let the light of Jesus illuminate whatever darkness remains. Don't hide in the shadows. When Jesus exposes something in us, it's never to shame us. It's always because he wants to give us life and healing and purpose and meaning. Jesus is is a great example of the fact that God is for us. He's not against us. At this time, I'm going to invite the worship team to come. They're going to lead us in a concluding song. And as the team comes, let me invite you to bow your heads with me as I pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we bless your name this morning. And we thank you for the freedom to gather, to lift up Jesus, and to receive from him all of the blessing he longs to release. And I pray, Father, that your glorious and heavy blessing would rest on Maple Ridge Alliance Church. Would you give them eyes to see Jesus? Would you give them the courage to trust Jesus? Would you give them the freedom that comes as they turn and confess their sin to Jesus? And would you heal them, heart, mind, and body? Lord, I have a sense there there may be some here this morning or watching on video that that are carrying a burden that is too big for them to bear and they're crumbling under the weight of it. We choose Jesus to believe your promise that to the one who is heavy laden and burdened that you can give them rest. And so even now we ask, come and unburden us, Jesus. Come and be the Savior of our souls. And so... Jesus, we thank you, we bless you, we love you, and we choose to worship you, praying all of these things in your matchless name. Amen.